working drummer. Now kick it. This is the Working Drummer Podcast, serving up perspectives, experiences, and stories from ground-level working pros. Advice, tips, and secrets on how to build a career in the music business. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta. Today I'm talking with Jeff Malott, who has been based in Cincinnati his entire career and is the drummer for the acclaimed instrumental trio Us Today. The group just released their fourth album, Computant, and spent most of 2018 riding a wave of publicity kicked off by a feature on NPR. Jeff also performs with jazz guitarist Brandon Coleman and works as a music educator's rep for Willis Music. You may have heard by now that we are coming up on our 200th episode and we'll be celebrating this milestone with a live event in Nashville on Thursday, January 10th. We're still nailing down some details that we'll keep you apprised of, but for now, put us down for January 10th in Nashville. Hope to see you there. Please visit us at workingdrummer.net where you can check out our entire archive of nearly 200 past episodes and learn more about who we are and what we're about. If you want to support what we do here, along the right side of the homepage you'll see buttons for PayPal and Patreon, and every donation in any amount is greatly appreciated. You can follow us on social media, and if you want to be featured on Instagram, post pics and videos of your gigs using the hashtag WorkingDrummer. We love seeing what you all are up to out there. Now it's time for our weekly check-in with RJ. Let's see what he's up to. Hello? Hello. Is this Arjuna? (laughs) Yes, this is him. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in whatever you're selling. (laughs) Why don't you ever call your mother? Call your mother sometime. (laughs) I couldn't tell if you were trying to sell me something or if that was uh, (laughs) a... What was that? uh, What was those like jerky boys? Jerky boys, right. um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is allergy season. Man, how are you doing? It's good. I'm. I. I think I got something. I don't know if it's cold or allergies. I'm still trying to figure it out. But uh, oh, you, you got the itis, man. You you know what's a, a, a cure for that is hanging out with Kevin Murphy. <laughs> <laughs> like, that sounds like hair of the dog to me, man. <laughs> uh, so you're back in town. You were in. Yeah. You were all over, or you were in yeah, Texas and and Chicago, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was, um, well, I kind of, I had to base myself out of Texas for about three weeks. Um, You know, we did that week-long run down in Austin, and then we did some rehearsals in Dallas, you know, and did a private party one weekend, and then right after that, flew up to Chicago to do a couple music videos for our record label, Victory Records, and flew back down to Dallas after that because we had a, a like a show on that this past Saturday in Denton, and so it just didn't it didn't pay for me to come back to Nashville during those three weeks. Yeah, um, and then I also judged like uh, the final round of the Texas All State you know jazz ensemble uh, high school you know drum set auditions which I had done last year also when I was still teaching, you know, mm-hmm. basically full time in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area and happened to work out that it was on this past Sunday, the day after that gig that I had with, with, uh, Reverend Horton heat in Dallas. So I was, I was still going to be in town. So I just stayed one, one extra day. And I'm guessing that while you're in town, you're trying to, you know, hit all the, the spots and, and see all the peoples. I'm trying my best, man. And and actually it's kind of, it is your, your, you hit the nail right on the head. It's kind of like a catch 22. Um, 
and I, and honestly, I didn't think it was going to be this crazy, you know, um, you know, I, I, I realize I'm moving to town in kind of a unique situation where I, I already have a full-time gig that, you know, it's not based in Nashville, but I, I am on like basically a full-time gig and, you know, I, I, mo- I wanted to move out here to spread my wings and, and get going on, on other, you know, stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it had, it's been a challenge to do that. And I've been trying to dip in as much as I can into stuff that's happening. You know, for example, like tonight I'm going to go hit up like a couple of, uh, you know, CMA after parties, you know, um, you know, my friend Kevin is playing at one, you know, with, you know, he's with John party mm-hmm. and they're doing a few songs. Like I think they're at legends, you know, after the show. And so I'm going to, you know, find myself down on Broadway, I think a little bit later and try to, you know, hang out and, you know, check out stuff that's happening. But then, you know, again, like sadly, like, you know, I'm, I'm headed out of town for the next, you know, five weeks, five or six weeks, basically, you yeah. know, I think that there's a couple of things to take away from this is, you really kind of have to be flexible and and go with the flow and and try and take advantage of of the time that you have but but again it is a blessing that you have a gig that uh keeps you busy you're playing drums you're you know you're doing this thing it's it's a good problem to have you know uh also i think that a lot of times we have a hard time saying no to anything especially when there's no work and so you might find yourself in a spot where you're able to kind of take the gigs that you want to take in Nashville or work with the people. I mean, you're already, mm-hmm. you're, you're friends and you have connections with lots of uh, established people. So that's a, a really good start. You know, I think that that mm-hmm. is uh, something that I, I think a lot of people may not have that you have right now, which is which is good. Um, with Kevin and some other guys, or in spite of Kevin Murphy's uh, connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, like I like I was saying, like I am excited that there's like I think two and a half or three weeks that I'm here in January. Yeah, and it looks like the month of the we're off the entire month of March. It looks like maybe with the exception of like a fly date or two. So I, I have no immediate plans to 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 leave Nashville. It's just it's it's been more of a challenge. To, that I had anticipated in terms of just being able to, you know, the time that I'm here in town, you know. But, dude, yeah. thanks for keeping cool. up with us on this, and we'll shout at you again soon. You're welcome, man. Talk soon, brother. All right. See you, man. Bye. So let's get to it with Jeff Malott. We had a great talk about us today, the Cincinnati scene, the different ways he's gotten involved in music ed, and the regions and sub-regions that make up the story of American music. Great talk. Hope you dig it. So yeah, just start by telling us about this uh, this trio, us today. Um, well, we started about eight years ago, and um, we kind of like got together just for fun initially, mm-hmm. and um, we kind of we've just started creating like different kind of stuff. But like initially, it was kind of like jazz influence, but not jazz. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's kind of molded into more like a prog type thing. Um, I was going to say there's, there's a strong prog rock flavor in it <laughs> that I yeah that I dig. yeah it's it's definitely like the group I play in where I get loud and off. <laughs> right yeah so it's it's been kind of like a progression and all of us have contributed to that in different ways throughout the years but it, yeah it just started as like a really an experiment and just to have fun and 
I mean, it's still fun, of course, but it's gotten more serious with uh, just as far as like the scope of what we do every year seems to get more um, ambitious, I would say. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, and who who else is in this group with you? It's just a trio and it's it's a unique instrumentation kind of it's it's vibes and guitar. Uh, yeah. No, no bass or keys or anything. So, so tell yeah, us, tell well, us who your uh, bandmates are. Yeah, Kristen Agee is the vibraphonist and um, percussionist in the group, and she also will cover bass lines um, on a Nord keyboard. Mm-hmm. And and then Joel Griggs is the guitarist, and he covers bass lines with his guitar, with an octave pedal and a Moog sub fatty. So we kind of like find ways to cover. Um, bass in unique ways we've had conversations like should we just add a bass player um, <laughs> and we've kind of stayed away from it honestly to kind of not I mean I play jazz all the time but the other two are um, not as much into that kind of thing so mm-hmm. that we've stayed away from a bass player honestly to keep ourselves as affiliated as a jazz group honestly right um, right so just finding unique ways to cover that has been fun um and i'll i'll use like an spdsx pad to cover some bass sounds every now and then and just fatten up the drums and i'm just starting to experiment with those sunhouse century percussion oh did you get um, one of those things yeah i'm trying those out and they're pretty amazing I'm yeah been pretty impressed yeah it, it looks so far. it looks like star trek drumming it's really insane it, you know like Sometimes when I see triggers, I'm like, oh, it looks good on their promotional videos, and that's great. But honestly, like, <laughs> the things work as well as you see them played in the videos. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, so, I, I interviewed – a few months ago, I interviewed uh, Ian Chang. Um, oh, yeah. From, we played a show with him, too, Oh, did you really? Like, in April, yeah. Yeah. Um, it was super cool to watch him – do his thing because he had been with them since like beta testing right right and he's super nonchalant about it he's just working this thing like a wizard but he's like yeah you can (laughs) you can do this and if you want you can do that and you know it's cool (laughs) like dude Uh, yeah i was definitely leaning leaning in and seeing what he was doing to run everything he was (laughs) doing it was pretty great it was an amazing live show too so yeah people get a chance to go see him do that it's it's awesome yeah um, okay, so you, you said you started the band eight years ago? Yeah, it's been since 2010. And yeah, were the, were I, the three of you in school together, or, or how did you cross paths? Kristen and I started at, well, she was finishing her graduate degree at Ohio University when I was transferring in to finish my music ed undergrad. Mm-hmm. So we only crossed paths for a year in school and then kind of stayed in touch and I ended up moving to Cincinnati for grad school. And um, then we kind of reconnected and started this group not not long after I started grad school. So, mm-hmm. And she met Joel randomly in a coffee shop in Oxford, Ohio, where she's from. She was teaching lessons up there. And, um, it, yeah, they, they just – he had a picture of St. Vincent behind the counter, and there, not many people knew who that was then. Right. Um, so – yeah, they kind of struck up a conversation and it kind of all happened from there. And I heard a recording and I was like, you know, I think I could add something to this situation that would be, you know, cool playing drums. And they agreed to that and we got together and that's <laughs> what I can remember of it right, <laughs> at this right. point. So, yeah. Um, so you, you just uh, put out a, a record in 2018, right? 
Yeah, yeah, in June. June, okay. Um, yep. is, is that the first, uh, like, full-length record for the group? No, it's actually the fourth. Oh, my God. Um, okay, wow. Yeah. The, the um, yeah, because hopefully we had done more than that in eight years. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes you got projects that, like, you play a gig once in a while, and it's, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, you know, it doesn't uh, require a lot of ambition, but but you guys have been uh, ambitious and busy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, we, we kind of, our output at the beginning was a little bit more than, than it has been in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, probably because it was a little more improvised in nature. Mm -hmm. Um, so we put out two records pretty quick right off the bat and one we don't even print anymore. And I don't think it even exists electronically. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, we came out with another one, like probably we did two in probably the first three years. And then the other two, um, the last one was 10 enemies and this current one is competent. And, um, yeah, those have, those took a little more effort. We kind of, we did a, a crowdfunding campaign for the last one and kind of put, wanted to do vinyl and all of that. So, we kind of raised the bar on that one and it went really well. And this one, we raised the bar again and have done all that and toured it a lot more. And so it's been good. Yeah. And are you, uh, like, where are you touring and what kind of venues are you playing? Are you playing? Because this kind of music could kind of go, I mean, you could be playing rock clubs, you could be playing jazz venues, you could be doing festivals. Like, what are you doing? Well, all of the above really. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, We've played, it's kind of like hard to even think about at this point, but we've played, we did South by Southwest this year in mm -hmm. March. And then we played in Arkansas and Tennessee and all over the place. And most of the time now we try to stay to like rock clubs, rock bars. We don't really do the jazz stuff like any of those clubs. And a lot of people think, that we would work there when they listen to our music, but honestly it's too loud. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, we just try to play like rock clubs and we, we've been on, we've like opened for deer hoof and Sylvanesso and a bunch of different kinds of artists. So we kind of, it's great in a lot of ways because we fit a bunch of different bills, mm -hmm. but in, and then in some ways, because we don't have vocals, some rock promoters are confused by us. So right. it's a little bit of an uphill battle sometimes. Yeah. And what, what do you use? Like what terminology do you use to describe the group when you're talking to a promoter or a club owner or something? They say like, what kind of band is it? What do you say? Uh, I mean, we, we stick to try to be, basic about it even though it's not easy um and say indie rock post rock it doesn't really even fit the post rock thing anymore mm -hmm. um it's more like indie instrumental rock yeah um instrumental rock or something like that where they understand it's no vocals but it's not because it, we don't improvise right. i might play around with some some things but um you know most but what you hear on the record is what we're going to do live most of the time. So. Right. And I was going to ask, like, does, is this, is this music as, uh, uh, tightly composed and arranged as it sounds? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's exact. I mean, we play everything you hear on the new record. We play it exactly the same way. Wow. Um, yeah, the same tempo. Uh, I, I actually did Ableton click tracks for the first time because I wanted to add a lighting show. Mm. Um, which we've done and 
it's, you know, it was time consuming. So we've been playing live to click, which we haven't done in the past. And, you know, sometimes we'll play shows where we don't do it and, and play old school, <laughs> which right. is like fun in its own way. Like how good is my actual tempo feel? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and, and it's, and honestly the band has gotten tighter through that process. So it's, it's been pretty cool. We just played a festival, um, a, a week or so ago and it, without metronome and it was really tight. And I think it's from just doing all that metronome practice live. <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah. It's been good. Um, and you did, you did the, the NPR tiny desk thing. Uh, we submitted oh, for you su- it we, yeah, okay. and we had a feature on all things considered. Right. Um, right. Right. I about a week that. or so after the album came out, which was great. Yeah. Yeah. Super awesome. The writers, uh, Jim Fusilli, he writes for the wall street journal and he had seen us about a year before that. Um, and kind of stayed in touch with the band and, um, yeah, it was really lucky in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, it was, it's really helpful to have stuff like that happen. Yeah. And did it, did you see like an immediate effect from, uh, from that kind of, uh, platform? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty instant actually. Um, like our band camp just, it really blew up after that, that, um, interview came out so well it was more of a feature we didn't really even we weren't on the air but he put a bunch of our music together and talked about it it was like a five minute five minute piece during rush hour all over the country so i had friends texting me i hear you on npr (laughs) yeah that is in fact us yeah that's really cool so (laughs) it was cool like did you did did some uh some bookings come of it some opportunities i think I don't know if bookings came from it, but I think the combination of all the press has made booking people take us a lot more serious. Right. When we send an email to book and we can put all these quotes from different places, I think that's been more the help than, than the actual piece running itself, you Mm -hmm. know, like, cause we, we've been working with somebody and he's been doing a great job and, um, yeah. So, you know, it's been all of that stuff put together and it's having more videos and we had some stuff come out on Vic Firth and, um, Oh, cool. Yeah. So we've, we've kind of tried to put together a more comprehensive, like, you know, plan to have to reach out to people and promote this album. And it really has worked well. And, and we've worked, this has definitely been the hardest year for us as far as behind the scenes, mm-hmm. just working. I mean, just, even doing this kind of stuff. It's like, we've been talking about the band all the time and it's like, it's pretty cool to, to do that. But it's like, man, now I kind of understand when a band gets bigger. So does their workload behind the scenes too. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Especially if it's an indie band. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, speaking of your live videos, um, they're i mean they're not live in the sense of like they're at a club with an audience but they're yeah. uh you know just kind of one takes um in these spaces uh mm-hmm. that, that just describe the the spaces that you did these videos in and the process of recording those um well the two for Vic Firth that came out um were done with 410 Media and Evan Chapman um and we went, we had a show in Washington, D.C., and I, and Evan's in Philadelphia. So I was like, maybe we can just pop up there after and, and, um, 
do some video stuff. So we, we did that and it was in a big warehouse space, Mm -hmm. um, that was, and he found it. Um, it was like, it seemed like an art space. Like there was a lot of visual artists there. So we just rented this room and met up with them and had a plan on to record two or three tracks and all of the audio is live from that day. And he mixed all that. Evan's a great, he's one of the most like talented people I think I've met in music. It's that I don't think there's anything that guy can't do. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, he's like a videographer. He can mix, he can play like he's been the drummer for Lydia and his band square peg round hole. And it's like, it's pretty incredible. So just getting together with creative people like that, you end up with good results and, that's that's what happened and we we Vic Firth put out two of them and they were great too and yeah. Kristen and I endorse them so right. um yeah it's it's a good relationship it's really nice yeah yeah so yeah. is is Kristen um like does does she just play vibes or uh is she kind of all around percussion does she also she, play drum set yeah she's an all around percussionist um she plays drum set quite a bit um out, I mean, you know, this is actually probably her vibraphone outlet. Huh. Um, but she also plays orchestra gigs and, right. um, but she's, she's got a record coming out tonight with uh band Marjorie Lee and the lovers she plays in that, um, yeah, she plays drum set for that. And she's, she's a great drummer and percussionist plays drum set really well. Cool. Cool. And yeah. do you guys, do you guys like put your heads together about, um, you know what what you're playing for for us today do you bounce off each other i think that all of you know it, a lot of times joel and Kristen will get together initially and kind of get some melodic material together before i come into the equation mm-hmm. um you know I, I like to contribute what i can um but then you know if there's something that joel or Kristen feel like oh i should be doing this kind of thing i you know i'd usually take that advice and try to do something along the lines of what they're feeling. Right. Um, so when we write, it actually is all together and we never write anything down. Um, that was my other question is any of this, it's all, it's all just out there in the air, not on paper. (laughs) Well, we, we record, um, the rehearsals, like we're writing another track right now for a project we're working on. And, it's all just like we have the recording and we, we kind of, we memorize as we go all of our, none of our music's ever been written down. It's kind of crazy. Wow. Um, so we just memorize as we go, which is, it's been a good skill, you know, being a jazz drummer too. It's like trying to know, you know, hundreds of tunes at a time. It's, it's kind of good to have the outlet where it's like, this isn't a standard, but (laughs) remember how this goes and never forget it. It's been, been good a good thing i think for all of us definitely um so uh the record came out in um june yeah Uh, now we're into the fall what are you are you doing more touring coming up in the fall what's coming up for the band um the touring is kind of like settling down a little bit right now um we're kind of in a new writing process right now and trying to go back in that direction a little bit. Um, I think we are trying to, to go some, do some more stuff early next year. Mm -hmm. Um, which is still in the work so much that I wouldn't even want to like say for sure any of it. Right. Right. Um, yeah, just, you know, trying to do the normal, the normal thing 
well, the new normal thing. This year's been so busy. It's like replicating some of that would, would be difficult, but I think we'll probably be playing out as much as we can. Are you an Ohio native? Is that is that where you come from? Yeah, I was born in Cincinnati. You were born and raised in Cincinnati. Yeah, kind of ra- uh, raised. They're all in this area. My dad's a United Methodist pastor, so we moved a bunch uh-huh. um, as a child. But it was all like within the like fifty to hundred mile radius of Cincinnati. So, right. Right. Yeah. So where, like, when did when did music become a big part of your life? Um. I think that I kind of like early on, I really loved watching marching bands when I was like literally like two to three years old. I was obsessed <laughs> with that, Yeah. which like I, we lived in the middle of nowhere. Like when, uh, when I was born, we moved from Cincinnati pretty quick and we moved to this town called Versailles, Ohio. Uh-huh. And I just, the, the high school marching band would march past our house for the football games and I would be like crazy about that. So my, <laughs> my parents still make fun of me about it, but <laughs> it's fine. Uh, so I, I think I wanted to do something musically for a long time, but I didn't know what shape that would take at that point. So mm-hmm. I actually started like viola in the fourth grade and that was a giant bust. Um, <laughs> and I have no business playing a stringed instrument, but, um, and then I, I started percussion in, in band in fifth grade and I was obsessed with it. So I stuck with it and, you know, I didn't take lessons a lot early on, which then I met a friend that had, and he was like playing circles around me and I was like, Oh, I got to get some lessons. Right. And, yeah. uh, I kind of was like a late bloomer, but I think I worked extra hard to kind of get it together before college and stuff like that. So, right. Right. Yeah. Um, and where, where did you go to college? You did an undergrad and a grad degree as, as well, right? Yeah. I actually started at a community college in Dayton that's got fantastic teachers huh. that I um, love. It's called Sinclair Community College. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're an NASM accredited, not to get super nerdy about school, but they're, they're accredited school. So it was like just, you know, like my credits would transfer to another school. I'm like, well, this is a good way to like kind of kickstart it. And uh, I, I kind of felt like I was still a little behind on like some reading stuff and just some things I could stand to get more together before going on. So I did that and had a great teacher named Jane Varilla who did um, classical percussion and um, was great. And then I had some dr- a drum set teacher named uh, John Parcell who was excellent and kind of kickstarted me in the in that direction and. That's cool. That's cool. You started at a a community college. It's something that that we don't talk about very often. I mean, we we talk all the time on the podcast about collegiate music programs and, uh, you know, as far as a a conservatory setting or a big state university and um, all of the politics that come in between, you know, the jazz world and the classical world, you know, in the college setting. But we we haven't really talked about the community college thing. And now that you mention it, um, you know, I, I have known so many uh, uh, colleagues and friends who have taught at at community colleges, and yeah. you know those those schools don't have big, well known, prestigious music programs, but they have really great teachers a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I, I would say that was the biggest thing I took away from going to that school is like even my teachers outside of the music um, realm were all they were the best educators 
because I think that they had to be in a way, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you just have such a diverse population and this school was not small by any means. It's one of the biggest community colleges in the country. Right. There was like 20,000 plus students at any given time at wow. this school. So it's really big. Yeah. And the music program was kind of supported by community players too. So it was kind of cool because you could see people that were already working and, and they were like doing community bands. And that's how I got a bunch of early marching band work was from knowing people that played in these wind ensembles at school. And, uh-huh. um, so, I mean, honestly, I don't think I would have gotten to where I have without that as the starting point. Right. Um, and when you say I, marching band work, are you referring to teaching? Yeah, I taught marching band. Like, I'm just now starting to move away from that world more. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, once wow. the people know who you are and they they know you can do the job, it's like it's hard to get away from it. So yeah. I, I, I still, like, consult, like, a couple bands a summer, mm-hmm. but it's not, like, the full season. I did, like, full season work for, like, 10 years. Wow. And that was great. I mean, it. I thought I'd... I definitely thought I wanted to be like a band director, hmm. which I haven't ultimately ended up doing that, which is fine. But, um, uh, it was, it was great. Cause I just had access to, there was one guy in wind ensemble with me named Will Shoemaker and he would hire me to do pit instruction, like teach mallets yeah. all over the place. And I did that for a long time and it was better than a summer job <laughs> doing whatever else. Definitely. So. It was cool. Definitely. Um, so at, at some point you transferred from the community college to uh, a state university? Yeah. I transferred to Ohio University to finish my music ed degree. That's where I met Kristen. Right. And, okay. um, yeah, that that was all like more classical percussion. But the teacher there, Roger Braun, was good about kind of re- recognizing that I had a passion for drum set. Uh-huh. So I kind of got like to do a lot of drum set stuff there. I was always in jazz combo, jazz ensemble, and they had a jazz percussion ensemble there. Oh, cool. So I was c- constantly doing um, drum set stuff, and but then still playing like, you know, <laughs> standard four mount marimba solos and vibraphone yeah. stuff and yeah. and timpani. And that I, I, I wouldn't change any of that for the world. Like I learned so much doing the classical percussion thing and it's helped me immensely with drum set. So, yeah, I, I, uh, share that experience. I, I also did a, an undergrad and a grad degree, um, you know, kind of split in time between drum set and, and classical percussion. Um, yeah, I, I split class time and rehearsal time between those two things. I did not split practice time. Like yeah. <laughs> almost, almost all of my practice time went into the classical side I gotcha. and, and almost all of that went into the fucking marimba, um, yeah, exactly. which, <laughs> which at this point like the, I kind of, yeah. I kind of regret it a little bit. Like I loved playing marimba. Um, yeah. but I, I just look back on all the hours I put into that thing and think like, if I just, if I would have taken like 25% of that time and put it into drum set or piano or just something else like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's kind of funny that you say that. Cause uh, I've got, I, I don't teach many students right now, but like, I'm just, one of my biggest things is like, make sure when you're going to do this kind of stuff. Cause I definitely was probably more like 50, 50. I like couldn't get myself away from the drum set. So I, I'd, I'd practice probably about half and half and, and marimba, like 
it was amazing. But a lot of times I found, found myself being behind on like getting solos learned and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I remember there was like one Memorial or Labor Day weekend cause we were on quarter. So we went into the summer a little bit more than other people, but I like stayed all weekend to like catch up on a solo that I had to learn for a jury in like a week. And it was like, <laughs> this is ridiculous, but being a music ed major, it was like, <laughs> this is the only time I have to do this. So right, right. I guess this is how it goes. But, but I, I try to tell students, I, I got a lot of, I got one student right now that wants to do jazz studies. And I was like, you know, th- you can, um, but he wanted to do a jazz studies undergrad and then do a commercial music grad program and i'm like you should flip that if anything Hmm. um and i i'm just trying to help him understand like you know when you get out the skills you actually need compared to what you're gonna do is quite different with some of these degrees so yeah like just trying to warn him like if you want to do this you should and you got to be 100 percent into it but um yeah it's it's interesting to look back at my schooling and then see like Oh, now I have to figure out how to work Ableton, and I literally never did that one right. time in school at all. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like I'm still learning on the job, and even though I have three music degrees, it's like it doesn't matter. There's still always something more to learn. Yep, it's crazy. Yep. Um, yeah. So, it, like, at when you're in uh, when you're in your undergrad, you're you're thinking I'm going to be a band director, I'm going to yeah. be a marching band, I'm going to be an educator. Um, at what point, like what was your grad degree in? My grad degree was at, um, university of Cincinnati that they call it CCM, the college conservatory of music. Right. And it's in jazz studies. Um, which I was, I'm still all about. I play in, um, Brandon Coleman quartet. He's a great guitarist out here. Mm -hmm. Um, we play in New York pretty regularly now. Um, and then, you know, so I was still using that portion of my training for sure. But I, I just wanted to do something that wasn't music ed for a master's degree, not thinking that I wouldn't be a band director, but just, I was kind of at the end of school, I was like, well, let me just throw my name in a couple hats here and see what happens. And I, tr- I auditioned at Western Michigan and, and CCM and CCM had a I ended up getting like full tuition and a stipend to teach a uh, be an assistant. Wow. Um, so I was like, oh, I can't really turn that down. So yeah. I'll just go right from undergrad to graduate school. And it was, it was great. It, it really kicked my butt because I hadn't had the jazz training I needed in undergrad. Um, as far as harmony and theory and all that stuff went. Right. So it was definitely like, I'm getting dropped in the deep end of harmony. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> uh, it was great though. I, I love it. I wouldn't, Again, it was like one of those like this is really difficult, but I wouldn't change it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who'd you study drum set there with? Was it John von Olin? John von Olin was a, a combo director, and he would sit behind me in big band and get, give me advice, which was amazing. <laughs> like in real um, time, just like yell oh, yeah, at you absolutely. from behind you. I mean, it, yeah, there was times where he'd be like, "Just remember, you're you're running the show here," and just like give me like pep you know pep talks and sit in and show me how to play dance beats that i didn't know and, um <laughs> it was great i mean like he's he's a really easygoing guy and and super fun to be around and he has great stories so yeah um it was more like the like both teachers were so i had art gore as my daily teacher mm-hmm. um that was my lessons applied teacher so he um he's done stuff with like george benson and lonnie smith and um, 
yeah, he's a great drummer, really great guy too. And yeah. both, both, it was more like an old school type approach where it was like, here, play this, listen to me, play this and play it back, which I, I really dug. Cause I, I'd done the whole like book route up until then with other teachers. And that was great. Cause it got my hands together right. and my, my, you know, and just, I wasn't starting from square one, but some of the things that they, the inflection of their playing, I like got to just kind of listen to them play and I'm like, Oh, that's why I sound square right. <laughs> because I'm not doing this and that. And just listening to them play and talking to them about different things. It was, it was awesome. Right. So. The, the book, uh, the books had gotten your hands together, but, but nothing had gotten your, your soul together. <laughs> oh, Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, I still feel like with some swing stuff where it's like, I'll listen to other players and I'm like, yeah, there's still something I don't think I quite have a grasp on that, that these other guys do that maybe I won't ever have, but I, you know, I have what I do and that, I guess that's good too, you know, I yeah. gotta be accepting of what I can do and understand what I can't. So, yeah, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a common theme on the podcast is like, especially as you get older. Cause when you're a student, you're young, you're full of shit. You don't know anything. So <laughs> yeah, we're all, so talking. you don't really talking know and not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, as, as you age, um, you, you kind of, like you said, you, you really start being aware of what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And, and when it comes to your weaknesses, you kind of got to make some decisions about like, well, am I going to strengthen this weakness or am I just going to let it go? And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you know, jettison that from my identity and, and stop trying to, um, you know, force something yeah. that's maybe not natural. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Exactly. Um, so at, at what point did you um, kind of shift focus from your career track? Because like for the longest time you wanted to be an educator, um, but it seems like gradually you were turning more and more towards uh, performing. Yeah. Well, you know, um, after graduate school, it's kind of like, okay, what do I do now? Um, and I didn't really seem to like, it was just kind of like, do I really want to teach? And I think my answer at that point still would have been yes. And I threw my name in a couple of hats and didn't really get much um, back. Um, sometimes having a graduate degree can be the death of you yeah. <laughs> without experience. You know, it's like graduate degree, no experience. It's like sometimes they'll just pass those people up. Right, um, right. Which was fine. I totally understand that. So I got a job actually in retail music sales at, um, a company in Cincinnati called Willis music. And I was working for them for about three months. And then this little weird job opened up. That's band. It's the being a band rep for music educators. And I was like, well, I could do that. I know stuff about things. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm, I'm, I, I have the background and I put my, resume over to the person that was heading that department up and they hired me in that position. And, um, so, so this position is, is going out on behalf of the company pitching stuff to band directors. Oh yeah. It's, it's working with band directors, kind of keeping them afloat and running, um, during the season, you know, as far um, as gear, as far as sheet music as far everything, as, yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah. And I've dealt with sound systems, sheet music, books, rentals that are a big aspect Right. With the getting band and right. um, so it's it's something I didn't really ever think 
like when I'm going through my progression of like, what am I going to do with this weird music thing I decided to do? And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people come up against this when they graduate. Um, and this kind of just presented itself and it's really natural for me. Um, so I've been doing that. There was a year I took off and taught at, at Moorhead state university. I was a visiting assistant professor of jazz studies there Mm -hmm. for a year. And it was a cool job, but then there was a governor change in Kentucky and that kind of scared a lot of public educators off from working (laughs) in that state. And, um, I mean, honestly, most, a lot of people I've worked with there are already gone or, or looking. So, um, and, and it's, it's cool. Like it was a great experience, but then I came back to Willis and I'm with them again. And and it's honestly, it's a really flexible job for playing. Mm -hmm. So it kind of keeps me from having to take gigs. I don't really feel like I want to do. Right. And, and then, you know, cause it provides plenty and, um, then I can kind of gear myself more towards jazz and, and us today. So. so you, so you still do that gig as the rep. Oh yeah, definitely. Wow. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's, it's so flexible. Like, I mean, right now I'm doing this podcast and I, you know, when I'm done, I'll, get off and see if anybody has texted me about anything. Cause this is our busy time of year. And, um, right. I'm sure. So, but I, but I do that job and it's actually, I mean, not, honestly, if other people that listen to this have that background in music, ed, that's a great job to do. Um, and be a gigging musician. Yeah. It's and really tell, nice. tell, tell me again, your job title, exactly what it is. It's called music ed education representative. And it's, it's basically, um, just, working with music educators directly. It's like, just like think of, uh, the guy that sells the rings to you when you're graduating high school, like a high school ring right. thing. It's like, it's like that, but for band, um, yeah. where you're going in and you're talking to the director and you know, they'll, they'll bounce things off of me. So honestly, you're, you're, that's, the, you're that's, the liaison between the yeah. director and the company that sells everything the director needs. Oh yeah. And we're, <laughs> we're, we do sell everything too. So it's, I have to know about sound systems for front ensembles or I sold sound systems to orchestra directors. And, yeah. Um, it's, it's good though, because a lot of the tech stuff that I didn't know from school, I've learned on the job and I have contacts with these companies. Like, you know, I'll be, I've, I've already talked to people at audio companies today and I, you know, I'm ordering from Vic Firth and Promark and, and, um, uh, Pearl a lot, Yamaha mm-hmm. all the time. So yeah. it's, it's great to know that end of the music industry and kind of, it's honestly helped me understand how endorsements work. So, right. Right. Um, and just why those happen and who gets them. And yeah. How, how do, how do, how do endorsements work? Jeff, please <laughs> t- tell us. <laughs> well, honestly, I got my Vic Firth one from teaching, mm-hmm. um, they contacted the school I was working at and, and offered that. So I, um, I was already way on board with that cause I love Vic Firth. Um, I've always used their sticks and the, I mean, they're the best for me. So I, mm-hmm. um, was jumping at that. And once I got one, I had a talking point. So I, I talked to Mapex and started endorsing them first for drums. And then, um, I decided I wanted to go more of the boutique route and contacted Canopus and have been with Canopus 
or about two years now. Um, right, right. And they're amazing, and I and I have been with Phosphorus around uh, probably about the same time. And yeah, I'm happy with all those. Now and the head companies, they don't, they don't, they're a little bit tougher. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, now you say you you talk to these companies. Um, yeah, it, it, you kind of glossed over it, but I, I would imagine that. Um, there was a bit of a process in, you know, creating relationships, yeah. uh, talking to different people, trying out some gear, just getting to know each other. Yeah. I mean, I had to make sure that I knew I liked the products first, you know, right. I don't just, some people are out there just looking to grab whatever they can, but I'd, I'd had some experience with cannabis drums and I knew by the roster of people that they had there that, I would feel comfortable with their products. And the, honestly, they've, they've blown me away. The drums are literally incredible. Yeah. I, every time I've heard one, I've been like, yep, they're, they're really, <laughs> I don't know what they do stuff. over there, but it's magic, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. Like every, I've got four kits from them and, and it's like every single one is completely unique and has a different voice. Um, which is nice for me just playing a bunch of different styles and, mm-hmm. and, um, they've, they've been incredible and they're, they're great too. I just always think that it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you're in a relationship with them. Like you should be creating content for them and that helps you promote yourself as, as a musician. So right, cannabis right. has been cool about putting out videos that I've done and, uh-huh. and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, and I guess the, the point cool. the, the point I want to make about endorsements is that it's you know getting getting endorsements is is really a lot like getting gigs you know once once in a while you can cold call someone or do an open audition like once in a while you'll get something from a stranger but yeah most of the time you get something from somebody you already know somebody you have a yeah. relationship with somebody who recommended you um, yep. so if you know if people out there are um, you know, looking for endorsements, the, the first step is to create relationships, not ask yeah. for the endorsements. <laughs> and also just understanding that like, you know, I think some people in the Midwest feel like, like we're out on an Island by ourselves, but really the angle I've been able to take with a lot of these companies is I'm the only one with cannabis drums and yeah, like a long way around me. I don't know anybody else that even owns them in this area. Right. Um, so, you know, Harvey Mason has come to town a couple of times and he's got three snare drums with them and, and uses their stuff. And he's used my drum set every time he's come to town. So it's like, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And it's like, you know, there's other people that actually Dan Weiss, um, we'll be using one of my drum sets here. I, I don't think he's even an endorser, but but people will ask me to use my stuff because they're used to it from clubs in New York or they just know it's good. And it's like, absolutely, I'd love for you to play on these drums because I feel strongly about them and I know the, that you'll sound great on them. Tell us about Cincinnati. What what is the scene there like? What what kind of a town is it? And and what uh, what keeps you there? Um, you know, it's it's uh, definitely a Midwest town. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's very easygoing, and um, there's a lot of great musicians here. There's a ton of great musicians here. So, really, 
whatever style of music you're looking to create, it, it is here to be done. Now you might have to take some of it on the road to really get any, any, um, traction behind it. But, right. um, like, you know, it's, there's a lot of jazz gigs that you'll, that I come across that it's like, Hey, these four guys, you know, of are playing together and we'll give you're getting the call for the drum spot tonight, mm-hmm. you know, mix and match kind of thing that happens everywhere. But, right. Um, right. There are some bands that, that are working as groups here that sound great and um have done some touring and stuff like that as far as jazz goes and then there's a great indie rock scene Uh um with a lot of great bands that are that are kind of coming out of cincinnati it's it's you know hit or miss like anywhere but um there's you know a lot of talent and i think it's a great town to be in it's nice because you're within a couple hours of other major cities that you can tour to Mm -hmm. very easily. So, um, all of that makes it, and it's ridiculously cheap to live in. Yeah. So that's the other part. And it's like, I can afford to fly out or drive out to the East coast and not hate myself when I get back, you know, like, cause my rent is not like, you know, over 50% of my budget for a month. So yeah, yeah. It's um, nice that way. I, I haven't spent any time in, in Cincinnati, really. I've driven through it. Um, yeah. And from what I saw and from what I've heard about it, it, it reminds me uh, a lot of uh, Kansas City, where I spent yeah. seven years. Um, they've, they kind of feel like the, the same kind of town, um, yeah. just in terms of their scope and the... Uh, uh, I, I would imagine like the, the music scene is fairly insular, yeah, yeah, it can be definitely, and that's um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because yeah. while it, it's not it's not um, you know a, a player on the world stage the way you know L.A. or or New York is there's this sense of community this sense of uh, it's like a happy little bubble of a music scene. Yeah, the, absolutely. I'm. I would definitely say you nailed it with that. Now, I I think. Um, you know, most of my experience with Kansas City comes from Michael Schultz. Like, right, which is the uh, reason we we're to, doing this is he hooked yeah, us up. Hello, yeah, Michael. Yeah, graduate. We did the graduate school thing together, and um, and he would, you know, he was very fond of Kansas City, and I, I went out there, and I've, uh, you know, I've met Ben Leifer and Herman <laughs> Mahari and <laughs> all those Ryan. Um, who am I blanking on his life? Ryan Lee. Uh, oh um, yeah, Ryan Lee and Ryan yeah. Heinlein, probably right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've met like a lot of dudes from uh, from KC, and everyone plays jazz so damn well from there. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think that the the jazz thing was probably a little more happening in KC. Yeah. But but um, like there's kind of more, and Mike Mike and I have talked about this a lot. But there there's kind of like because Cincinnati had King Records here in the fifties. Hmm. Um, and James Brown recorded here and Bootsy Collins still lives in the area. Like there's kind of more of like a funk, um, background here, R and B thing. So it's, there's a little bit of a variance on the, you know, what goes on here on a daily basis. It's, there's a lot of people like, um, kind of paying homage to that right now, which is good because I don't think Cincinnati has ever been like, super boastful about their music um, background, but King records was a huge part of that. 
And actually, I was playing a gig the other night, and Philip Paul, the drummer that played on the Twist, was there, and he's like, he was in the King Records like house band that would back people wow. that would come through. So like, there's legends that live in Cincinnati, but they're legends that are not like it. Like it's not like Charlie Parker from Kansas City, you know? It's like, right, right. It's like we got Philip Paul and 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 a James Brown connection to Bootsy. And, yeah, yeah. And it's like. So it's a little different, but, but like, man, I'll tell you what, I'll, I definitely was like, wow, that's really cool. Philip Paul's going to get to see me play drums. And I'm very honored that he's even here to see it. Yeah, he was yeah. so nice and complimentary and that, you, and, and he's great. I mean, he's a legend. So. You mentioned the, you mentioned the funk thing and immediately yeah. I thought of the Ohio players. Oh yeah, which I, I don't know if they're from Cincinnati, but I'm not, um, I don't, I feel like Cleveland, but I'm not sure. Still, um, still Ohio though. Obviously, yeah, yeah. Um, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of people that came through to record in Cincinnati. That that for, if we if you go and you know, I'm not as well versed as I should be on King Records, but there just from that being in town, like that, that means like a lot of people spent a good amount of time here that were, you know, famous. Uh, yeah, like R and B and and funk and. Right, you know, blues right. and all that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool. I love I love when a town is uh, able to kind of identify and celebrate its its uh, its musical its specific musical heritage. Yeah, um, definitely. Because you know there there are towns that are famous for that, like New York or Seattle or um, you know Austin or of course Nashville, L.A., New York. But but if you if you look at other towns, you will find this this regionality like the same way you find it in food you know yeah absolutely um, and and it's it's really interesting to hear about like just about bootsy and about the funk thing and king records i had no idea about cincinnati yeah and um, that that was like really a, like the, when you mentioned that i thought instantly of like when we went down to austin for south by i went and met somebody i'd sold a drum to um a while back and I was like, well, I want to see you play. And he like plays all this like Texas swing, Texas shuffle blues kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I, that stuff, it's so deep to play that kind of thing really well. Yeah. Like, cause I heard him play and like, just like going to a different region and being out of your element. It's like, wow, the amount of stuff I don't know about other types of American music that is totally legit, um, is, is, insane like <laughs> yeah and it'll kind of give you perspective just going to a different town and seeing people that aren't the same people you see play every night you know yeah yeah for yeah. sure i uh i moved to atlanta about three years ago um from la and it's been cool to learn about like the you know the regional music history of of atlanta and and georgia and the yeah. southeast in general um, cause it's just, it's full of music that I was familiar with, but I didn't know it came from here. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, yeah. and it's in the same way, you know, Cincinnati, Cincinnati or Kansas city celebrates it like Atlanta and, and Georgia, you know, really celebrates the, the music and the musicians that have come out of here. And it's, it's in the yeah. water. Like you can hear it in the bands in the songwriting, absolutely. in the playing, um, well, it's, and I was, I was thinking, I, I was lucky enough to do a recording with one band at tree sound studio in Atlanta mm-hmm. and, and that like, if just walking in the lobby of that and realizing what has happened in Atlanta, like literally most of the music 
that's been like the tons of hits have come out of that one studio. Yeah. And it's kind of staggering. It's like Atlanta's got its own thing and that's, that's pretty cool. Well, now it's you're kind of happening right you're now. You're going to educate me a little bit. Cause tell me, I, I know I've heard of tree sound studios, but what, what is the legacy there? Um, I think that's where Andre 3000 did. Um, okay. Uh, a bunch of stuff, Elton John, BC boys. Right. Like I, when we were, when I walked in the lobby there, it was like, it's a completely nondescript building. It looks like an office building, mm-hmm. but you go in and there's like, it's pretty high security buzz in and everything. And like, um, there's like huge studios there and they've done all these records, gold, platinum, multi-platinum records yeah. in that, that space. And like, I think Lil Wayne is like out of that studio like there's a bunch of people that are in Atlanta that that use tree sound and it's kind of, I mean it would kind of be like a a King Records but now right. kind of thing right um, there's so, there's another studio yeah. in Atlanta um, that recently closed down actually but it was called Zach Studios Z A C okay. Studios yeah. um, and a, a friend of mine named Tony Terrabone was the head engineer there for a while uh, and it was that same kind of thing where like he I think he became head engineer there when he was like 20 or something he was a, a prodigy and a badass uh, but yeah. he said like he walked in his first day as head engineer and his first session was with Eminem and somebody else <laughs> that's crazy like, um, yeah, so they- yeah the guy that was mixing our stuff had he had just done Whitney, Whitney Houston like <laughs> a couple weeks before that. I'm like, Man. well, we don't deserve this, but <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that there's that recent history uh, to Atlanta that I still think is being built on, like with the whole trap scene and and, oh, yeah. and that. But like, if you go back further. Um, you know, there's tons of, uh, there's tons of jam band heads around. Cause like, there oh, yeah. was, you know, the Allman brothers, you go to Macon, you, you hear about the Allman brothers and oh, going yeah. further back, there's little Richard. Um, and like at Eddie's attic in Atlanta, you hear about John Mayer and it's the like Indi- Indigo girls and like, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool to, to just like be in a city wherever you are and, and you kind of hear and see all these, uh, all this evidence of, of the music that's come out of there. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things in KC, like Schultz was showing me around and we went to the foundation and I was like, man, this is heavy. And this right. is like people in Kansas city are like, I can drink there late and think about it completely <laughs> differently. Right, like, that's the late jam. Like, like, Parker <laughs> played on this stage and Dizzy played on this stage and I'm like freaking out and they're like, I want to go drink until four. Well, they, they, yeah. I mean, they, they not only played <laughs> on that stage, but as, as legend has it, as I understand it, that is the room where Charlie Parker met, right? met Dizzy Gillespie. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. I mean, like I literally was like, this is the most heavy room I've ever been in. And like <laughs> people are just getting hammered. And I'm like, I think, I'm going to go up and try to play a tune with these really great musicians right, right. <laughs> on this famous stage. And it was, it was cool though. Yeah. But I feel like every town should have that kind of thing. Yeah. It probably I, does. Maybe even if, even if they don't know it, it's probably there. So I, w- I was going to say, I feel like almost every town does have that. And you know, even yeah. the small towns, I interviewed a, a drummer named Seth Hendershot who lives in Athens, Georgia. I know Seth Hendershot. Oh my God. He's in, he, we opened for Kishibashi, and he was the drummer. He's, Holy he's shit. awesome. Man, yeah. God, this is such a small world. It's I know. We can't go anywhere. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, Athens is this tiny little college town, and the amount yeah. of music that's come out of there is insane. 
It is um, insane. But, yeah. you know, you were talking about there, there are so many great players in Cincinnati. Um, you know, the thing I'm learning through doing this podcast and, and the more I travel around the country is that even even in tiny little towns, there are it's full of great musicians. Oh, yeah, like, absolutely. Every town has great cooks, great musicians. Um, you know, great storytellers. They might not do it for a living, but yeah. uh, but it's just really uh, uh, a wash in <laughs> in great music. Almost everywhere yeah. you go, you might have to look a little bit, but yeah, they're um, there. Some people are just not as um, open about it, and it's because it's part of their culture and their personality, and it's just like talking to them, right? And they right. don't think about it like some, you know. Oh, you know, I'm not going to millennial shame because I am a millennial, <laughs> but but a lot of us are trying to like, you know, gain popularity through Instagram and and Facebook and and you know, if you're a modern musician, that's almost necessary. But right. there's all these other guys that are older that you know, people you still have to call on their home phone. This episode is brought to you by DrumSellers.com, the niche marketplace where drummers, drum retailers, and drum manufacturers buy and sell their gear. List your drums for sale for free, and the only fee is 4% if it sells. Simple. Check out all the new used vintage and custom drum eye candy at DrumSellers.com. Other than us today, are the are most of the gigs you do more straight ahead jazz? Um, yeah, I would say the majority. I'm I'm playing straight ahead jazz with a great piano player tonight, and um, tomorrow I'm playing with a brass band that's like New Orleans style. Mm-hmm. And then and then Sunday I'm playing with um, Brandon at a at a gig here in Cincinnati. So does yeah. uh, and you also mentioned that Cincinnati has like a strong. Um, kind of indie rock scene yeah uh, singer songwriters is is there like a a corporate band scene is there are there there... is a corporate band scene that i don't tend to play in too much Uh, actually really not at all Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's there's a lot of like wedding corporate type bands that that are very busy right Um, and some of the best musicians in town playing those. Too, yeah, so. yeah. And yeah. is that is that just a scene you you don't feel the need to uh, uh, spread into? Yeah, I I've just never really gravitated towards it. I know the money is great, but yeah, um, to be in us today and have the time to really put my heart into that, um, I've had to kind of let that go. Which is why the day job is great <laughs> right so right. i don't have to and i'm not teaching a ton of lessons or taking the corporate wedding gigs but man some of the some of my favorite players in town are do a ton of that and they're awesome so, yeah yeah and yeah. i mean that's that's their day gig <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know? yeah that's like i mean it's not like you know playing britney spears is everyone's <laughs> cup of tea or they want to do it but right. it's like it pays the bills and and that's and it, I mean, there's a lot of skill involved in just keeping all that together, too. Yeah, so. there's there's definitely a lot of skill involved. And, and I think playing, you know, doing the corporate thing or the wedding band thing, I think it can it's like any other um, it's like any other type of gig. I, speaking for myself, at least. Yeah. How much I enjoy it depends more on the people I'm playing with. And Absolutely. Just the situation than, than yeah. necessarily the songs, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a friend that wants to start his own version of that just to 
to, to keep things, you know, fresh for himself really. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. It's like, you know, everyone's has those gigs where they're like, Oh, that's the band. This is going to be the greatest night ever, no matter what we're doing. Right. Because you're just happy with the people that you get to be around. So, um, that's, that's great. I, I, luckily I feel like it's like that a lot around here. There's a lot of great people with positive attitudes and that helps a lot. Right. And I think that's the other thing you learn as you get older is that, uh, you know, a, a career in music, um, is about music and playing, obviously, but uh, just as much, if not more, it's about people. It's about relationships. Oh, yeah. um, and if you surround yourself with with people that you you like and love and are are badass musicians, uh, it it almost doesn't matter what the gig is. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, are do you do you have plans to to stay stay put there in Cincinnati? Is uh, is any other city? calling your name or or is that home for you i think for the time being it's it's home i i know i don't know what the future will hold um i my wife um just graduated for with her master's degree oh cool um, in what in um urban sustainability and resilience so she's very into the recycling advocacy and finding uh ways to keep this planet strong that sounds is, like a millennial job we, if ever there was yeah. one good on <laughs> and her the thing man. is a lot of companies are are starting to think in that direction because that's what millennials want so yeah. Yeah. um yeah but she's she's got a good grip on things around here so um i i would gather to say we you know we have a house here and everything mm-hmm. and we're, we're probably not going anywhere anytime soon but but you never know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I think the Midwest in general is a good place to call home. I do um, too. I, yeah. I, I it's really not a love, bad I love my time in Kansas city. Um, yeah. And, uh, and you know, the living in a town like that, um, you know, I, I think especially as, as a, as a creative person, um, there's always that voice in the back of your head where it's like, you know, I should, I should be in New York. I should be in LA. I should, go to a bigger city i should do more i should be more famous yeah. and make more money yeah um but uh you know a, a cool scene and a mid-sized town like cincinnati or kansas city uh i think um kind of uh makes it easier to be content <laughs> yeah exactly i'm not struggling to figure out how i'm gonna pay like three thousand dollar rent right <laughs> or something you know right you know no, that's like extreme example but it's I, I do. I've I've talked to a lot of. Luckily, I've been able to play with a lot of New York musicians out here, mm-hmm. and I always ask them. I, th- I was talking to Glenn Zaleski, the piano player. We we played here, and um, I was just like, you know, would you do it now? He's like, if I move there now with n- not the ten years I have there already, no. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, no, I wouldn't. But he's like, because I've been there and built it up from being there i'm used to it but i I, he's like i don't know how he would pull it off right moving to new york city and yeah yeah i've thought about it i mean i think every musician that's serious about playing has thought about it but man it's just so difficult and i respect the hell out of everybody that does it right right. more power to them like i john raymond i met before he started teaching over at indiana um and he was living out there and it's like he now is in the Midwest doing the teaching thing. And it's like, I would kind of love to pick his brain on 
what it's been like and mm-hmm. has it been good for him going in the opposite direction and right, right. i feel like i mean walter smith the third's at iu too now so it's like really I, yeah so i mean we got people two hours from here that are some of the best players on the planet for yeah jazz. yeah and yeah. it's like you know if that's where it'll pay the bills and you're not stressed and you feel good it's like then that's where you should be i guess yeah know? and i think more and more musicians are are making the choice to either uh to either move out of new york or la or nashville or just not go there in the first place yeah um, and it's it's making the scenes in in all these other cities uh ever ever stronger and ever cooler totally yeah yeah i, I spent five years in la I, I went from kansas city to la um and kind of made a made a go of it there um and had some success i played some some cool gigs and i made a living i played at disneyland um yeah you know i, I just like to say i did not crash and burn i held my okay. own <laughs> you know That's i didn't good. i didn't do a ton of damage but uh but I, I played and worked there for five years. Um, and then we got the opportunity to move to Atlanta. And right away, Atlanta just felt like this happy medium between uh, a town like Kansas City and, and L.A. Yeah, it's um, big enough, but it's not L.A. Right. But it's, not, it's probably a little bigger than Kansas City, though. Right? It is quite a bit bigger. Um, it, yeah. But, but it feels small. There's still like a cool community feel here. Um, yeah. And I, I would imagine that Atlanta, you know, as far as daily life is concerned, has more in common with a Kansas City or a Cincinnati than absolutely. Than yeah. Um, well, cool, man. It sounds like uh, it sounds like you got a good little corner carved out for yourself there. in Cincinnati. absolutely. Yeah. yeah I couldn't be happier, honestly. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, thanks a lot for talking and uh, yeah. best of luck with uh, with the record and hope to see you. Uh, somewhere in 2019 with with us today maybe we'll cross oh, we'll paths out, out there, there <laughs> thanks again yeah thanks zach jeff Malott, great dude right and for those of you wondering the ohio players are from dayton ohio which i believe is just 45 minutes or so away from cincinnati so i think they can claim at least a little bit of that mojo Check out us today on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you like to get music, and be on the lookout for them in 2019. They might very well be playing your town. Please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on Stitcher and iTunes, and if you do, please leave us a rating and review. That's very helpful to us. We also have some episodes available on YouTube with more coming soon, so if YouTube is your preferred media platform, check us out there. Also follow us on Instagram, at Working Drummer Podcast, and don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have questions or comments. We always appreciate hearing from you. Once again, we hope to see you for our live 200th episode in Nashville on Thursday, January 10th. More details to come on that. Stay tuned. Come on back next week for Matt Krause's interview. As always, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.